one of the best ways of um, bringing people uh, joyfully into uh, a wild environment of this kind once they become familiar with it and know of its presence and what they can find there. One of the best ways is to conduct a bio-blitz, it's called. That's my hero, E.O. Wilson. He's one of the greatest living naturalists we have. Ed's an authority on ants and their complex societies, the author of some of the most insightful books I've ever read, and a passionate defender of science and the natural world. He did an interview recently with the folks at the American Prairie Reserve, which, by the way, is the largest nature reserve in the continental United States, and soon to be a topic that we'll explore in this podcast. In that interview, he talked about an activity that fascinates me, the bio-blitz. And that is very simply uh, a search by a gathering of people, including whatever experts on different kinds of organisms, plants, animals, are present uh, professional and amateur with people who have uh, interest in nature to people who don't know anything about it and their families but would like to learn more and to join in a 24-hour search to see how many different kinds of, of plants and animals, the species, how many species they can find uh, in a circumscribed area. You know, you think that in the 21st century, right, when we have all this amazing technology at our fingertips to figure out whatever we want about our landscape, you'd think that we'd have a clue about what actually lives in our own backyard, but but we actually have very little idea. The only way to really figure this out is to bring in a cadre of biologists from around the Northeast and, and set them loose on this place for, for 24 hours. The BioBlitz is an opportunity to, to say, this is what's here. You can only conserve something if you know it exists. That's Sean Beckett, staff naturalist at the North Branch Nature Center in Montpelier, Vermont, not far from where I live. What he says is so true. Far too many of us have become disconnected from nature. We work long hours. When we're home, we stay indoors, often with our heads hanging low over our phones or tablets or laptops, like Snoopy doing the vulture thing in Peanuts. I mean, when was the last time you went outside just for the sake of being outside? I can tell you that as a writer, I need that time away from my phone, my desk, and all the things that distract me. So when I get stuck on a writing project, I walk down the street and go into the woods for a bit just to clear my head. It feels good. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you went for a walk outside without your phone or grabbed a pair of binoculars just to go birding or got down on your hands and knees in a woodland or along a stream or eye to eye with a grasshopper in a tall grass prairie? We need this. We're part of nature and nature's part of us, which is how I met Sean and how I was able to attend his bio blitz. We don't know nearly enough to be able to make fully informed decisions about how we use our natural resources. And um, this, and, and so by having a, a solid catalog, or at least a richer catalog of what's here, what our biodiversity looks like, we can have a better idea of what's at stake when we do make these decisions. The other major goal of the BioBlitz, the other side of this coin, is to bring together a community and celebration of nature. For folks who have never really spent much time in the woods to leave thinking, slime molds are the coolest thing that I have ever heard of. On the day of the BioBlitz, the place was crawling with people, and I think the kids outnumbered the adults by about two to one. 
It was also crawling with scientists. According to the list that Sean gave me, there were more than 90 of them, and they came from every possible corner of the scientific community. I met a lot of them. There were specialists in vascular plants, birds, bats, bees, ants, spiders, dragonflies, mammals, bryophytes, lichens, slime molds. Yes, there are people who specialize in slime molds. Butterflies, fungi, galls, moths, reptiles, amphibians, fish, beetles, and critters that can only be seen through a microscope. You get the picture. And I have to say, they all really looked the part. A lot of them wore naturalist vests with cool things in every available pocket. There were hand lenses hanging around just about every neck, and most of the hats that I saw had flaps in the back that covered necks that had been burned one too many times from field work. And the energy they gave off, it was infectious. I mean, here, have a listen to Hugh McGinnis, a specialist in moths. A friend of mine describes moths as the hamburger meat of terrestrial ecosystems. They are the they are what birds eat. They are what many mammals eat. And they there's a huge flush of caterpillars in May and June. And so many organisms are dependent uh, for raising their babies on caterpillars. So moths matter ecologically because they're in the middle of the food chain and they uh, simultaneously uh, control plants and turn plants into into high quality protein for all sorts of organisms. And in fact. One of the leading hypotheses on why birds migrate from the tropics to the temperate and boreal regions of, of the world are because there is this flush in the spring, this large amount of protein available, high-quality protein, in the form of caterpillars. The other thing that's amazing about moths is how many moths do you think there are in your backyard? Most people, when I ask them, they would say 10, and I say, very good. And I say, a little higher, and they say, 20. But no, in fact, if you look, it's hundreds and maybe thousands. On my house on Long Island, I've already recorded well over 1,100 species of moths. In Vermont, I'll bet you there are over 2,000 species of moths and maybe closer to 2,500 species of moths. Bioblitzes are attempts to start to get a handle on this biodiversity, which otherwise wouldn't be, wouldn't be understood. And it's an attempt to do it in a localized region so that at, at intervals you can come back and and see how we're doing. We'll have a, we'll, we'll start to have a picture of how things are changing and, and, and what, what the possibilities are. Under a huge white tent like you'd see at an outdoor wedding, a team of naturalists prepares for the arrival of the teams that are out in the field collecting samples. Surrounding them are aquariums, terrariums, cages, bird banding stations, and an array of microscopes of every possible kind. There was a common cause at the Montpelier Bioblitz, a shared vision about why all these people were here. Mike Bald specializes in invasive plant species, and while his world is all about hogweed and Asian milfoil and wild parsnip, he also looks at the bigger picture. Phil McKibben wrote a book in 1989 called The End of Nature, and I think Mr. McKibben was dead on, right on, when he said that our, our disconnect with nature is the first step leading to the next issue, which is just disconnecting from an understanding of ourselves. I have a poster here, which you can't see through a microphone, but it talks about if you're present on the landscape, if you're present as you stand in the middle of the river, you'll see and you'll sense and you'll detect things and you'll feel things that you wouldn't see if you've got headphones in or if you're tapping your foot to the song of the day or something like that. It's magical, it's spiritual, and you only see that if you come lay in the grass and watch the clouds go by and stop answering your phone. 
In a separate tent behind the one that covers the collection and examination stations, scientists from the Caterpillar Lab in New Hampshire are holding court before a young and enthralled audience. I don't know if you can see, but their head is sort of pushed forward, and then there's a bigger brown sort of neck there. That neck, that's their new head. So they're going to pop off their old face, crawl out of their skin sometime today or tomorrow. So that's why you should come check back in every once in a while down here. I think I brought a vial of old caterpillar heads. There they are. Everybody needs some caterpillar heads. So the Caterpillar Lab is an organization from Keene, New Hampshire, and we are focused on everything caterpillars. We do educational programs all across New England, going to museums, nature centers, schools, summer camps. We raise hundreds of species, thousands of native caterpillars every year. And we work with researchers. We do a lot of uh, work with uh, photography and videography, basically anything involving native caterpillars. And our goal is just to put these creatures into the spotlight. Um, these are amazing animals that are all around us and not a lot of people know of them. You know, we live in a time that is increasingly polarized politically. Everything is, is you know, becoming more and more frenetic and fast-paced and complex. And um, the natural world is a place of neutrality in a world where that's hard to come by, right? Um, there's not really another theater or another platform where you can set your own pace, where you can learn things on your own terms, where you can engage your own curiosity, where you can engage your, um, your own inquiry. Writ large, that's the point of what we do as a nature center. That's the point of this, this bio blitz is to, to, center, to bring people into that space so they can find whatever it is that, that they are looking for or find whatever they didn't know that they were looking for. That was Sean Beckett again. After I left him at the Nature Center and went back outside to see what was going on, I ran into this guy. Now, full disclosure, this is a man whose books I've had on my shelves for years. So I am uh, Richard Prum. I'm a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at Yale University. I'm also curator uh, of birds at the Peabody Museum of Natural History at Yale. We talked for a long time about his love of nature, especially birds. Toward the end of our conversation, I asked Richard to answer one question for me. If he could wave his Harry Potter magic wand and change one thing about how people engage with the natural world, what would it be? Here's what he said. I think it would be for people to understand their connectedness to nature, not just as a functional issue, like our food comes from the land, and, but their historical connection to nature. You know, that we are human beings, just one branch on an enormous tree of life. And, and that not only informs how we think about our own biology, the diseases we have, the, the challenges we have, but also that we are related to all these animals. And what this does is when you think about yourself as an animal, sitting in the tree of life, you realize that your position is not special. And, and that decentering is awkward because we're so used to thinking of the, our world as we see it as important. But when we're no longer at the center of the world, it gets uncomfortable, but we also learn in a new, profound way. Once you realize that it's not just all about us, we'll appreciate the world uh, more. You know, make the hard choices uh, economically, sociologically, ecologically, 
to sustain the planet in a living way. Just before I left Montpelier, I stood in a field of grass that was as high as my hips and watched kids of all ages, from 6 to 60, some of them beyond that, run around with butterfly nets and jars and magnifying glasses. Down the hill, I could see people wading in the stream with dip nets, and just beyond them, a group of people led by ornithologists like Richard Prum were setting up mist nets to catch passing birds, which would be banded and released. They were having fun, and they were learning. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. A month after the BioBlitz, I got an email message from Sean Beckett with the results. Over the course of 24 hours, from 2 p.m. on Saturday until 2 p.m. on Sunday, volunteers made 4,645 recorded observations and identified 1,539 unique species, including 547 plants, 685 insects, 107 fungi and lichens, 81 birds, and 26 mammals. Among them were a handful of organisms that had never been found in the area before, including the eastern narrow-leaf sedge, the water chickweed, and the narrow-leaved everlasting pea. They recorded the first-ever sighting in the United States of the dead nettle leaf beetle. What was particularly interesting, though, was the discovery of a previously unknown fen, a swamp of sorts, that had formed on top of a previously paved area that had been abandoned, had flooded, and had then been reclaimed by nature. There they found an elfin skimmer, which is a tiny little dragonfly, and a round-leaved sundew, an insectivorous plant, both new to the area. On the other end of the biological spectrum, researchers were disappointed to confirm that bats were in very short supply. A few little brown bats were found, but none of the other species that are native to Vermont were seen. All of them are on the state and federal endangered species lists. Bioblitzes are taking place all over the country and all over the world, and I can't recommend the experience strongly enough. Get out there, take your kids, make a day of it. To find a Bioblitz near your home, visit inaturalist.org or call a local museum or nature center. For the Natural Curiosity Project, I'm Steve Shepard. Thanks for stopping by, and thanks for being curious. It really does make the world a better place. 